Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate in 2003 nike signed 13 year old freddie adu to a seven-figure contract but freddie didn't live up to the hype he is turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right, as always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan. Nick is back, and Nick, you brought a friend with you, didn't you? Uh, the one and only, the incomparable, Matt Law. Welcome back to the show, Matt. <laughs> Afternoon, guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we're definitely excited to have you back on. It's uh, probably any football journalist's close to favorite time of year, which is another transfer window. So that might or might not come up. Um, and we'll kind of, you know, see see how things are going. I think, I know, I know Chelsea have been uh, a little bit more competent in the transfer window again this, this past summer. And I think maybe some of us fans might be a little more reactionary than the club, Matt, after the last two results. So um, with the start of the transfer window and Chelsea's run of form, I guess, kind of what's your general sense? Are we going to go splash the cash again, drop buckets, load of cash, and and pull in four or five more signatures? Or are we going to sit quiet? I think it's going to be more about the outs, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be more about the loan outs and whether they can raise a little bit of money as well. If they can raise some money, they might try and do something. I think they want to get money in. I think that's what stopped them maybe really pushing for Declan Rice in the summer because they didn't actually bring any money in. Um if they can get a bit of money in in the early weeks, then they might try and do something. I mean, look, we all know it's, Frank would still love to sign Declan Rice. I just can't see that happening in January. I've said that before on this show. Um, the wingers is interesting, isn't it? Just this last, last two weeks, all of a sudden, Frank's kind of put out a bit of a message out there, I feel, that he still feels there a little bit short squad-wise in that area. He's referenced it a couple of times that two injuries to Hudson-Odoi and uh, and Ziyech has left him short. Um, and obviously he's using Werner out there, which I'm, we might come on to, to later in terms of how successful that is. So 
I get the impression, and this is just my impression from press conferences with him, that he might like another option in the wing positions. Whether that's possible in January, I don't know. Look, I think certainly the club's focus will be out loans and loans and trying to sell a couple who who they also tried to sell in the summer. So kind of picking up on that, maybe specifically, if we look at some of the outs, you know, defenders, I think, is one area where there maybe is an abundance of supply at the moment and maybe not as much demand as we would hope. You know, we saw a little bit of a challenge to maybe get Rudiger out or execute on a loan for Tomori back in the summer transfer window. What mm. is the center back situation looking like with, you know, a couple of players not getting a ton of minutes here with Silva and Zuma so settled? Tomori will go out on loan in January. I'm I'm 99.9% confident of it. Um, Newcastle like him, Leeds like him. There's a very big European club who I'm afraid I can't divulge because I'm sworn to secrecy who are very interested in him, um, which would be a very interesting option, actually. Um he will go out on loan. The fact he, in the last few weeks, when there was a bit of rotation in the Champions League, wasn't used, I think sealed it. I don't think, I think that was done partly to protect him ahead of a loan going out in January and not risking injury, messing that up for him. I think Christensen and Rudiger are now happy to stay until the summer. Um, Christensen doesn't need to worry about his Euros place. He will, even if he's not playing much for Chelsea, he will be playing for Denmark. So it's not such a big deal for him. Rüdiger's getting enough minutes now uh, in the you know the Champions League. Some of the Champions League games, the FA Cup will be coming up. I think Rüdiger's getting enough minutes to keep him happy till the end of the season. So I think tomorrow will go out on loan, and then I think probably the rest will stay as it is in terms of centre backs. Left backs is interesting. Very we've interesting. Got, we've got a few of those still. <laughs> One hasn't <laughs> been seen in months. Quite since the West Brom game. Am I am I right? I've, I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, when he when he had his little problem with the the bus and yeah, and getting annoyed. Look, I think um, it's pretty clear that, that Frank would love to sell Alonso. The, the problem is, is that Chelsea put him on a very big contract, getting on for two years ago. Um, he's hard to shift. They want a lot of money for him, and he's on big wages for a left back, particularly for the kind of leagues who were looking at him. He's difficult. There's, there's interest in Emerson Palmieri, but he he is the first choice reserve playing for Italy. I think Frank would rather keep him. So that that's a difficult situation there, left backs. But they've got far too many of them. I mean, I think Baba Rahman's still even at the club, isn't he? Yes, technically. Yeah. So you know they they, they need to. They were trying to balance it out at the end of the summer, and they ran out of time. Um, and they they certainly need to balance it out out in this window a little bit more before they can really seriously start thinking about signing anyone, I'd have thought. Kepper as well. Oh, what happens with Kepper? You you tell us what happens with Kepper. I still can't see a move out there for him. I can't yeah. see a move. I mean, I think Real Madrid in the next few days might post a loss of 93 million euros. La Liga's in absolute financial meltdown. You know, the, the top clubs in La Liga... I've got massive, massive money problems. I can't see a loan out there even for Kepper at the moment. I might be, I might be surprised by something coming up, but I just, I can't see it. I think he's stuck. Well, he's a to, keeper to, stuck in time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to circle back on the wingers, thinking about like how how that could look, should there 
be funds available, right? And I think you made an astute point about perhaps there isn't 100 million pounds for Declan Rice in the mm-hmm. January window. Um, and even then, I'm not sure West Ham would let him leave at this stage of the season, uh, given their form. Uh, is there anyone from a winger target perspective that could be on Chelsea's radar? Like, I, you know, I was talking with Dan and Brandon before the recording about, you know, Ben Rama, who was formerly a, a target and now is at West Ham cutting a rug. Um, is there anything like that out there? The one I've always thought is an interesting one who I know Chelsea have scouted for a long time and I, I really struggle to pronounce his name. So apologies to everyone who can pronounce his name while I get this wrong. Um, Samuel Chukwesi at, at Villarreal. Mm-hmm. Look, I'd like to make it clear I don't expect Chelsea to sign Samuel Chukwesi in, in January, but he is a player they've scouted for a very long time. Lots of English clubs are looking at him. He's having a very good season. He's quite young. And I think if they were to sign a winger now, they'd probably have to go for someone quite young because let's face it, they're probably not going to spend the kind of money where a winger is going to come in as a first choice. It's a really tricky situation because if you have everyone fit and you sign a winger, you've, you've probably got one winger too many. I mean, already Callum Hudson-Odoi can't get on the bench when everybody's fit. So it's a very difficult situation. Whether they can be clever and find another player who can play in a few positions, someone who can do a better job on the wing than Havertz and yet also provide cover maybe for a strike as a striker or as a midfielder, I'm sort of guessing here, but I do get the impression it's a position where Frank isn't quite happy. Um, and I don't think he sees Werner as a long-term option on the flanks. I think that's a, a short-term thing. I do think he, he sees Werner as a striker. He's always talked about Werner as a striker. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tricky situation. Talking about the, the outs and the, the loans, though, just to come back to it, because I didn't quite get a chance to mention it, Gilmore is very interesting. Gilmore's a really interesting case. I mean, let me, I know you're here to ask me questions, but let me ask you guys first. Would would you be happy with Gilmore going out on loan? So I think the the Connor Gallagher situation has changed things because he's having such a good loan at West Brom, albeit maybe he's changing now that Slavin Bilic has just been sacked after drawing against <laughs> City. Um but I think that all of a sudden, if I'm Billy, I'm kind of looking at Connor going, oh, he's now like PL proven, playing a ton of minutes. I know I'm just coming back from injury, but I, I think it could be a good move for him. And I think you just ride the depth with Kovacic and N'Golo Kante and kind of, you know, just take that to the end of the season and, and let Billy go. But I know, Nick, you, you've actually watched more West Brom than most of us this season. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm like I'm I'm just curious, right? Like, you know, much like I was when when Ruben was at Palace, I, I I did a lot of the same kind of stuff just to kind of see how they were doing. Um it it's a interesting one because you would assume that Jorginho is still gonna get playing time through the end of the year. And and I think given the I think insistence of two eights that Billy's not going to be first choice. In, in the eight slot anytime soon. So if he, if he is more of a six in this kind of current formation, then he has Conte, Jorginho, and then, you know, himself to contend with. And it's just a matter of, can he get enough minutes to make the season worth it on the road to recovery? Right. Um, it is, it's really interesting. So I, you know, I love Billy. I want him to stay, but I would understand if he wants minutes to get fit again. Is his, his, 
sort of my take on Billy, which is with a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of insight. He and Frank have a very, very close relationship. I mean, Frank has a good relationship with most of the players, but he is a young lad who, who Frank's taken under his wing and paid special attention to. And also with the injury, I think it's it's maybe brought them slightly closer together because I think Frank sort of provided a bit of a, uh, a father mentor figure for him through that as well. Um, Frank is very, very sensitive to the fact that Billy would love to play at the Euros for Scotland. Um, I know for sure he's sensitive to that and he would like to do what he can to help that, whether it be through being able to give him enough minutes at Chelsea or being able to use his relationship with Steve Clark to try and help um, aid a call-up if he weren't playing enough or if it be have to consider a loan for him that he wouldn't normally necessarily consider. And the reason for that is Scotland haven't qualified for a major tournament for 22 years. So if they were to go that long again, Billy would be 41 by the time Scotland <laughs> had this chance again. It's It sounds dramatic, but this could be a once-in-a-career opportunity for Gil- Billy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should dismiss that and dismiss the enormity of that for for a young Scottish player who, let's face it, we all know, were he to be even playing semi-regularly, would walk into the Scotland squad. Absolutely walk into the Scotland senior squad. So I think he is, he could be made a special case. I think in normal circumstances, Billy Gilmore wouldn't be allowed to go out. I think Frank would want him around the squad. He would know he was going to probably play at least another 10 games, which is enough at his age. And he would want to be mentoring him personally at the training ground. But I think he's a special case. And as long as there's not an injury crisis in the midfield, I I think he will let Billy Gilmore go out on loan. And it will be fascinating where they where they sort of place him and where they find find a spot for him. That will be really interesting. I, I think that's the follow-up on that question. Because to me, just with the way... The COVID situation has gone with injuries, as we've seen the winger shortage where you look like you have a lot and then you actually don't really have a depth of situation. It could almost feel a little bit like squad malpractice in in a way, because if you get an injury to N'Golo Conte, if you get an injury to Mason Mount, you know, Billy is probably moves immediately up the pecking order to almost being on the bench every match or potentially a starter is there a profile of club or a minimum level that you would expect Billy to go out to, like championship or above, or maybe even like a European type of loan? Well, there's no point loaning him anywhere where it's not going to help his Scotland chances, because if he goes out on loan, I know Chelsea will talk about getting him fitness and match experience and everything else, but I think the cut and dry of it is if he goes out on loan, it's to try and get in that Scotland squad. So there's... I'm sure there'd be conversations even with Steve Clark. There's no point sending him anywhere where, you know, Scotland aren't going to really bother too much about him. It's difficult for Chelsea because if you look through the Premier League, a lot of the options where you would immediately say that would be a good place, they've already got players on loan there. You know, they've got players on loan at West Brom. They've got players on loan at Fulham. Uh, they've got player on loan at Aston Villa. Sheffield. Sorry, is, is you, Sheffield too? As you look at all the bottom yeah, feeders that Sheffield might want help, of course. So they've got so many players out on loan that it really cuts their options down. I I wonder whether overseas or look, Stephen Gerrard dismissed it the other day. But going back to Rangers for half a season and helping Rangers win the t- their first title 
in nine years and working under Steven Gerrard in an environment where you would imagine he would be comfortable because he's been at that club and where Steve Clark would be watching him every single week, I think looks a great move. But, but Gerrard was quite dismissive of it the other day. I don't know whether Gerrard was playing a bit of a game there or not. Frank and Gerrard are certainly still very close. So I think he would probably be forced to look outside the Premier League just because of the sheer amount of loans that Chelsea have got in the Premier League and they're clearly not going to give him to any club who might be considered a rival. In terms of squad negligence, that's why I think um, if he does go out on loan, it'll be very late in January because they'll have to be absolutely sure that they don't get a big injury. And look, there's always a risk, but you're certainly not going to loan him out on January the 1st or 2nd. You'd more likely loan him out in the last last days of January, um, knowing that, that everybody in, your, in that position is fit, at least going into the end of the transfer window. I feel like one thing that we probably forget as fans too is that when we want to like shed all of these squad players is they help in training as well. You know, when you, when you have to play against each other, because otherwise you have to bring up a bunch of academy or dev squad players as well. So you have to remember that there is value of having good professionals in and around the first team, even if they're not playing a lot. So um, anyways, I don't know, Nick, any other first team questions about incomings or departures? If we are, yeah, I mean, I think the, the last point I'd make on this before we touch on a couple other of the loan options uh, is if, if we're sensitive to Giroud's Euro ambitions for France, then, yeah, I think Billy needs to be given that same consideration, right? It would just follow a logic pattern uh, that makes sense there. Obviously, France are going to make the Euros far more frequently <laughs> than Scotland will. Also, but... I think, look, I, I don't see Giroud going anywhere in January now. I think that 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 debate is is over because he's clearly playing enough. Even if Tammy dips in in front of him again, um, look, it's clear that he's going to get enough games. It's absolutely clear. I, I would be amazed actually if Giroud even. I I would imagine. I need to probably check in with his people quite soon to to make a check on this myself. But I would imagine the situation at Giroud's end at the moment has changed as well. I I just don't see that one as much of an issue for them now. Yeah. I mean, he, he came out a couple of weeks ago and was like, I think we're going to figure out a way to make this work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right, I think we're, you know, like, I don't think he should necessarily be the starter every match going forward. But, like, he certainly has a role to play. There are too many matches in too short of a space of time. Like, I was actually surprised he started against Wolves, to be completely candid, uh, given the run of matches that's coming up. So, uh, yeah, he'll he'll get plenty of opportunity, I think, before the end of the year. Well, that's that's the plan. More squad management for Lampard and company. But hey, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, though, all about the loans and expectations through the new year. Plenty of matches left. And uh, I might even sneak a Petter check question to Matt. Mm -hmm. We'll see if I have time. So thanks to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, listen up, fellas. 2020 sucked. It's almost the new year, which means new balls with our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is the best when it comes to men's blow-the-way screaming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of hair on their balls. Dan, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I agree. 2020 sucked and 2021 is right around the quarter. So, you know, if you want to get that new year freshness going on, 
you know, they've got the perfect package, you know, which is a collection of items like the lawnmower 3.0. You've got the, the weed whacker to take care of those annoying nose hairs and ears hair. And, you know, I mean, look, they also got other products that you could use too. They've got a ball toner, right? The crop reliever. They've got a ton of different things. And as we're recording this, uh, we're getting laughed at. And, you know, ultimately that's okay. Because you know what? You have to find joy in this moment. And one of the things that can bring you joy, Brandon, can be a brand new package from Manscaped. Uh, it's true. Look, if you're gonna, you know, take care of yourself and, and do some cleaning up, you might as well do it with the right equipment. Uh, the Lawnmower 3.0, it's waterproof skinscape trimmer, reduces the nicks to your two best friends, right? Uh, it comes with a shed travel bag. Keep all your goodies stored together. Um, well, and, and, and Brandon, the, and Brandon, don't forget, you know, the ball's gonna drop at midnight. Make sure the ball well, looks good with the lawnmower 3.0 and Manscaped. Use our code London is Blue for 20% off and free shipping on your first order. That is London is Blue, the code, 20% off plus free shipping. So when the balls drop, everything looks pretty. All right. Well, there you go. 20% off and free shipping with the code London is Blue at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code London is Blue. Happy New Year to you and your balls. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. It's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, loan time. The loan army isn't what it used to be, uh, but it's still alive and thriving. So obviously, Connor Gallagher, we talked about him a little bit, clearly enjoying life at the Hawthorns in the Premier League. Um, but with Bilic on his way out, you'd assume that whoever comes in, Connor still cemented his place. Um, but it just in general, I'm assuming, Matt, this is something Chelsea will check in on when a new manager is announced, just to make sure Connor's still in the plans, right? Definitely. And also, um, it's worth noting, Frank and Slavin Bilic are very, very close, very good friends. Um, I'm not sure quite where the association there comes from, but I know they're very good friends. And that friendship definitely paved the way for Connor to go to to West Brom and influenced uh, the decision of not just Chelsea, but the decision where that where Connor was swayed in terms of because he had some choices, um, and it swayed him to towards West Brom. The fact that Slavin and, and, and Frank are so close, so I don't think the significance of Slavin losing his job there should be downplayed. You're right though, as long as he's going to keep playing I also don't see Chelsea take him out of there because he's clearly settled quite well he seems to be coming into form he seems to be getting better as games go on making more of an impact but you know 
a new manager changes thing and new tactics might not suit him quite as well. You, they're not probably going to play in the same style under Sam Allardyce. Um, Did you just so, break that or has that been announced? Uh, it's not been announced, but I think we can assume it's going to be Sam Allardyce. The relegation escapee specialist. Specialist. Yeah. Absolute yeah. specialist. But I mean, also not necessarily known for um, his football, football through the lines, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they will. I th- look, I think Chelsea will make a check on that. But as long as they're confident he's going to keep playing, I'd be quite surprised if there's an appetite to to move him. If they did move him, I'd imagine there'd be plenty of takers. He's doing very well from the bits and bobs I've seen. It sounds like Nick's been watching him more carefully than me. <laughs> he was their he was their best player at the weekend. I mean, by by a country mile. I mean, he dominated seventy minutes at Newcastle and clearly looked like their only kind of playmaker type of threat. I mean, it was it was you know not. It's a sad state of affairs up front at, at West Brom for sure, but mm. he's he's playing really well. So. Yeah, kind of a strange, it's a strange one, right? Because he's either going to have to make himself into a striker who can accept long balls under Allardyce or he's going to basically become a faux defender. From well, I Although, I mean, look, Allardyce had J.J. Okocha at Bolton. He had um, Dimitri Payet at mm. West Ham. Obviously, Conor Gallagher is not that level of player, but uh, certainly at the moment, but... He can make a play like that work. He can make a number ten work in his system. It's it's not like he can't. So let let's be let's be positive about Conor Gallagher's chances under Sam Allardyce. He's doing it all himself. It, it doesn't he doesn't need me to to tell him anything. I mean, he's certainly doing okay. Um, the other one that is an interesting one though, Matt, is Gurhi at Swansea. Yeah. Uh, Tamori potentially out. We have, you know, some interesting other options at center back right now who long-term may not be at the club. Is it almost assured that he is going to find his way back to Chelsea in, in some sort of big way, or is he going to be on loan for, for a little bit longer? He'll be on loan for a bit longer, I think. I, I think he's maybe at the same stage Tammy was when he went to Swansea. Um or sorry, Swansea were in the Premier League when when Tammy went. No, I mean Bristol City. When Tammy went to Bristol City, so he's on his kind of first big championship loan, whereby he's he's at a club that's trying to get promoted. He's probably one of their best players. There's pressure on him. It's a good place for him to be. That the next step, like it was for Tammy when he then went to Swansea, you would imagine would be a Premier League loan. I don't see him coming back and and figuring for Chelsea in the first team yet, although I do see that in the future. People are excited about him, actually. I, I haven't, I've got to be honest, I haven't seen an awful lot of him, but I did hear early in the season that that maybe after a difficult first few games that he'd, he'd started to do really well at Swansea. I know people are excited about him. Um, but I think he's probably got another loan after this one to go through before he then comes into a first-team squad to, to get that Premier League experience. That's that's tends tends to be how how it works. Some of some have jumped that obviously the the very exceptional challenge, but that that looks to me he looks on a similar path to like I said Tammy when he first went out on loan. Well, it, it seems like it might be a situation too where it's you know just like the top of the Premier League table, the top of the Championship table is very tight as well, mm. where it's seven points between 
you know, first and eighth place and they have a game in hand and they're currently sitting in fourth. So they could jump up to third by winning their game in hand. Is it, you know, is it out of their own possibility where, you know, he helps, uh, you know, Mark helps Swansea get promoted and they look to keep him on the oh, start perfect. of their Premier League campaign? Yeah, that would be perfect. I mean, that would be perfect because then he's settled in a, in a club. He's presumably settled in an area wherever he's living and yet he gets to then test himself at a higher level. Them, them getting promoted with him in the team and then potentially keeping him for another season on loan looks like the perfect scenario. That, mm-hmm. that, that would be ideal, I'd imagine, for all parties. Yeah, I just did a quick Twitter search, and the Swansea fans are absolutely loving Mark Gerhe right now. <laughs> so um, one even called him a generational talent. So keep your Ooh. eyes open. He's 20. Um, Swansea fan seven two five four eight nine really loves Mark Curry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was that bad, but um, it's good to st- obviously, yeah, just you know, continue to to see. Uh, I did see a link with Fick to Leeds, which I thought would be interesting because as I was looking at the table, you know, it's like you always look at the bottom, right? Those teams at the bottom are going to try to do something to add mm-hmm. strength to their squad. But like I said, you've got we've already got loans at Sheffield, West Brom, Fulham, which are the bottom three. And you look at Burnley, Brighton, and Arsenal are the next bottom three teams. So uh, I feel like we've already done enough business with Arsenal. So then you're looking at Brighton, Burnley, maybe Newcastle, Leeds. There's there's a couple options in there. Um, you know, didn't Ars- Michi go to Arsenal Palace did. again? Arsenal did. So yeah, Michi, Michi went to Palace again. Um, Leeds have got problems at the back. Leeds, Leeds have got a couple of big injuries at the back. Um, Newcastle, I know for sure, are looking to use the loan market in January. They they can't sign players on permanent deals because of their protracted takeover. Um, but they they want to do stuff loan wise, and and they're having a look. I think actually, look, I, there's obviously been issues in the past between Bielsa and, and Lampard. Um, funny enough, with the club that that Fick was on loan at them, but actually. Leeds looks a really good option for him because, you know, they play out from the back. They're a big club. Whatever you think of Bielsa, some people absolutely love him. Some people aren't so keen on him. He does seem to develop players. He does seem to help players and coach players well. It looks like it would be a great experience for him at, at, at Leeds. I, 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 Leeds looks a better fit for, for what Chelsea want Fick to become than Newcastle, for instance, where... There's nothing wrong with Steve Bruce and there's nothing wrong with, I'm sure, him working under Steve Bruce. Tammy, Tammy Abraham did well working under Steve Bruce at Aston Villa, but different style of football and very different style of football from, from what Chelsea play, albeit Steve Bruce was an excellent defender himself. But Leeds looks more akin to what I'd imagine Chelsea would want Fick to become. But it's a shame I can't tell you guys, but if if the European club who have shown an interest um, firm that up, then... That would be an opportunity that any player would want to go for. Exciting. Uh, two quick things. One, I wonder if Fick looks at Leeds and is like, man, that's a lot of running. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, man. That sounds hard. Uh, obviously, he's a professional and can do a job, but it's funny about that. And then I like how, Matt, you said some people like him and some people don't because I think you've uh, gotten a little bit of Twitter Twitter comments uh, about Bielsa, which I, I'm kind of with you on that a little bit. He doesn't he doesn't knock my socks off. I'm not over no, Look, I, I've got nothing against him. He's, he's had an incredible career. I mean, I, I wrote a piece about him being nominated for the FIFA Best Award that upset a lot of Leeds fans. Um 
But I made the point in that piece that maybe he's worthy of a lifetime achievement award because the amount of countries he's worked in and worked in at a high level is incredible. And he has brought a style of football to his clubs and rejuvenated clubs and given them an identity. I don't belittle the work he's done. I do think for whatever reason, he gets a lot more credit than managers who let's say have done as much or if not arguably more at their clubs in the last few years than, than him. He's, he's one of these people who has disciples and people, people really jump on board with him. That, that kind of grates with me a little bit, but I look, the, the guy's clearly a very, very good coach. So as we kind of maybe look back a little bit insular around what's going on at Chelsea, you know, we've just lost two matches back to back for the first time since December of last year. So a little bit of uh, bad memories of December kind of coming back to the forefront uh, losses to Everton and Wolves. We've got a couple remaining fixtures here, uh, a couple against teams in the top half of the table, one match against the uh, you know, relegation arsenal. Uh, but West Ham, Arsenal, Aston Villa, the next three that we have with the losses to Everton and Wolves. Matt, what's the expectation that you would have or you think that the club is going to have of Frank for these remaining three fixtures before the, the 2000, uh, 20, 2021 calendar kicks off? Well, look, we want we want to see some character from the players. I mean, that that, that was sadly lacking against Wolves, I've got to say. I mean, I, I was looking for a response to that Everton. The Everton game, look, I'm not a Chelsea fan, but trying to look at it through Chelsea eyes because I, I work so closely with the club. The Everton game didn't really bother me. The Everton game was like, well, you know, clubs lose games, teams lose games. Chelsea weren't going to go the rest of the season unbeaten. So it's like, okay, so they've lost a game. They they often lose at Everton. No worries kind of thing. Didn't Didn't strike me as a problem at all. Last night worried me a little bit because I expected to see a reaction. I expected to see character. And I didn't see any of it. Um, And that worries me about some of the mentalities there at the moment, whether they're still a little bit too soft, a little bit too young or naive or whatever. I I was disappointed with that. And I don't subscribe to a lot of the chat following the game about should he have changed 4-3-3, should he have played Havertz wide right or should he have played Werner on the winger in the middle and positional? Look, tactics and where you pick players obviously do play a part in things. But I thought the Wolves game was a mentality thing. They really did, particularly when they got in front in the game. You know, Wolves haven't been scoring goals. It shouldn't have been that difficult to see that game out. And N'Golo Kante played well last night. But one of the moments for me was the throw-in that he caught. I mean... How's a player on the pitch at that moment, on all I think it was, so removed from what's going on that throwing comes to him and he just catches the ball? I'm just thinking, where's your head? What what are you thinking about? What are you in dreamland? Are you looking where, where's your focus? And there was a lack of focus through the team for me last night. And it that worried me because they've got a really tough schedule like every club has coming up in terms of the amount of games. And I actually think they've got tough games. West Ham will be a tough game. David Moyes has made West Ham a tough team. And in recent years, Chelsea have found West Ham a tough team. Villa, away from home, are a tough... You know, sorry, Villa on Villa are on away from home at Stamford Bridge. And Villa are good away from home. That, that will be tough. So it worried me that they need to show the reaction. They need to show they've got that character. So 
that West Ham game for me is a massive game. They've got to show it. They've got to focus and they've got to show the character. And I think, and I'm not trying to give Frank excuses here. I'm really not because I, like Nick said, I'd have started Tammy, for instance, ahead of Giroud as well last night. Um, I don't like Havertz on, on the wing, but I don't think last night was about particularly what, what Lampard did. And I don't think the West Ham game particularly will be about what Lampard does. It'll be more about the players showing up and showing some focus and some character, even if they have to win ugly. Which, let's face it, if they'd have beaten Wolves last night, it would have been an ugly win because it was an ugly game. Well, and I know, Nick, that even even the match he skipped over, Arsenal away, I know they're in 15th, but it it's a huge rival match for Chelsea with William David Luiz there. I mean, you know, them trying to get anything. That is going to be a huge character match. Mm. Uh, and at least you've got like the academy boys that know what it's about. And I feel like Mason still takes it super seriously and loves to get stuck in. But, um, you know, we we got to keep up with the top, the top of the table. That's that's the race that we're running right now. Exactly. I mean, they're still so I mean, look, after we're, we're speaking on Wednesday afternoon and there's a, basically a full calendar and and Chelsea could still drop a couple of places depending on results. But they're, after this week of games, they're still going to be right in there. And they can't just let that slip away. That's where the character comes in. They can't let that slip through their fingers and this chance just slip through the fingers. And like I say, even if they're not playing well, they've just got to get over the line, particularly the West West Ham game. As you say, Arsenal, look, I've seen Arsenal a couple of times at the Emirates and they've been absolutely woeful, but you'd imagine they'll try and step it up for, for Chelsea. Um, but again... It was the same old things that we, we've seen maybe last season at the start of this season with the Wolves game. I thought, you know, once once it went to one or where were the leaders? Where were the where were the vocal people in in the team pulling people through? I, I didn't see it. I found I found that really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes the Declan Rice thing uh, that much more intriguing. Really does because really he's does. a leader. Um, yeah. isn't it winner takes Declan, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you'd want to make that bet right now, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Um, anyway, I, I think two of the key players that people are focusing on right now, Matt, are, are Werner and Havertz, and they're clearly not performing at the level that Chelsea fans expected, and I'm sure that they expected themselves. Any insight as to what's going on there? Because, I mean, especially for Havertz, but I think – I think the spotlight turned from him to to Werner last night, um, yeah, which you know is what it is in the Premier League. These, these guys are are just whether it's out of position or adapting to the league, or you know, obviously Havertz with COVID. Like, do you have any idea what's going on? Because you know, I, I think we're all willing to give them as much time as they need to adapt. And like, this is not like a overly negative sentiment that I'm sharing, but it's clearly not working the way it should be. It's a perfectly fair point. It's it's not at the moment working the way it should. Um, Havertz, we, we were taken aback a bit a week or so ago with Frank's press conference where he, he pretty much said that Havertz's COVID was, was really quite bad and quite serious. He had serious symptoms. He, he wasn't asymptomatic. He didn't just have a bit of a cold at home. It sounds like he had a, a bad form of, of COVID that, that knocked him for six. Um, and I don't think that can be sort of underplayed. I don't think we should dismiss that. Um, I wonder whether now... I've never had COVID. I don't know what it feels like to have COVID or try to recover from COVID. 
it makes me wonder whether this period of games is almost like another new pre-season for Havertz because it's knocked him back to square one and he's had to start again. I, I don't know. That's me guessing. Um, so I think that's a huge factor. But parking the COVID thing, Havertz, I don't think he's been helped by being changed around in position as much as he has. He's obviously adapting to a new league. I'd imagine it would be an easy adaptation process for him were he to be playing in one set position. And some of that has been forced because in the last few weeks, it's been clear if Ziyech was was fit, Havertz would be playing as number eight. And I think that's where we've seen the flashes from him so far. I think that's where I like him best at the moment. I like him on that right side of the, the midfield three as a, as a number eight. Don't like him off the wing much. I've got I've got to be honest with you, and and the four three three has been working. So I can understand why Frank hasn't changed it to to put him in a number ten position because start of the season that four two three one didn't look great, and there are other players who suffered from that. But yeah, Havertz Havertz is a bit of an issue at the moment. I think the club always expected it was going to be a process with Havertz. The, the way Frank's always spoken about Havertz made me thought that that Frank thought it might be a slow start for Havertz. But if he's, if he's going to play, if he's going to start games, he's, he's got to step up. You know, he's, you're, at, you're at Chelsea, you're a £62 million sign-in, you're, you're, you're German international, you've got to step up. Um, Werner, I remember asking Frank straight after the last international break whether Germany's thrashing to Spain would affect Werner. And he said, no way. But he doesn't look the same player since. Since that, that Germany international break and coming back, having been part of a sort of national disaster in Germany. Germany don't lose football matches 6-1. You know, the German press were all, are all over their team and manager. You know, it's a big, big deal. And I, I look at him and think it, it has affected him mentally. And probably it's affected him mentally in that he probably came back thinking he could just get back straight back to things at Chelsea. And then a couple of games go by and he doesn't score. And you can see how desperate he is to score. I mean, in that lead, Leeds game where he, he should have scored a few goals, he actually channeled it brilliantly because he, he didn't score. He just kept running and running and running and he was creating chances still and getting chances still. But it does seem to have taken its effect on him mentally. He looks like he's lacking a little bit of confidence. Um... I wouldn't drop him personally, but I'd like to see him back through the middle. I'm a big proponent of that. Obviously, Dan, you know that. I said it on yesterday's podcast. <laughs> I understand why Frank is playing him out there. His hand is forced, but I still don't have to like it. Hmm. So, you know, it, based on those those two things, like we, we need those guys firing so Chelsea can be where we were earlier in the season. Yeah, but it, it again shows, though, that and, and I'm I'm guilty as I'm definitely guilty of this. And that when Chelsea were on their winning run, you looked just at the size of the squad, and you just thought this looks such a strong, strong squad. They've got options everywhere. They've got fantastic players everywhere. In actual fact, they're still in a position, and, and most of the Premier League are the same. You have a couple of injuries, key injuries. And it lands you in a real problem again. You know, I wouldn't have predicted, for instance, that the ZH injury would have landed them in such a big problem. And it doesn't just affect them on the right ways. It affects them all across the front three because it moves everybody out. Um, 
So they're still only they're still in a position where they're only one or two injuries away from it really having a big impact on them. And I I had missed that during the winning run, and it's it's been brought home to me the last couple of weeks. And I think that's where Frank would argue that the sense of Klopp saying that they've got the best squad in the Premier League is ridiculous. Because albeit you look through the names and it looks wonderful, they haven't necessarily got the people who can just come in and hit the ground running. And, and you know, Liverpool can lose a, a Jota or probably even a, a Firmino or, or Mane for a couple of weeks. And they'll bring someone in who can just hit the ground running and, and has that experience to immediately take that position. And Chelsea have the, the talent, but maybe not the people who can do it immediately for them. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool have a system that is proven and all their players understand. It, Lampard doesn't use one system either, right? Yeah. Like they're, it's a much more flexible and adaptable, adaptable method. So, I, you know, I think there's a lot to go in there, but... You know, is if you have to have Werner and another striker on the pitch, looking at a change in formation from a four-three-three is probably a smart idea because he's wasted out wide, and not only wasted out wide, he's not going to provide service in a way that makes it easier for any other player on the pitch to score. So it's, it's so difficult though because before the four-three-three, it was the four-two-three-one, which had its own issues. It didn't look great from a defensive perspective. Mason, that was at a time when a lot of criticism was flying at Mason Mount because his position in a 4-2-3-1 becomes very difficult. I think that position then becomes very... If you change that formation, you're almost changing it on the basis that Havertz is going to suddenly become your match winner. Havertz's form doesn't suggest that he's going to do that for you. It's a really tricky one. They can't go for... Look, I know that sounds very basic, but... In terms of strikers, you'd probably maybe like to see a Giroud and a Werner up front because Giroud flicking it on for Werner maybe to try and get him going in. But you can't play 4-4-2 at the moment because they haven't got the wingers currently available to play 4-4-2. I would stick with a 4-3-3 and you've, you've got to grind it out while it's difficult. And that's where it comes back to the players and their mentality and their focus. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, <laughs> more questions to be asked, but that's what we do. That's why we do what we do. All right, uh, look, Matt, before I let you go, I alluded to this on Twitter. I know you're not as excited as I was about Big Pete back in goal for the dev squad, uh, so we'll just make this a footnote, a kind of a, yeah, it happened. Um, we were excited, obviously, because we're fans and because of what Petr Cech has done for the club. Um, it was actually an exciting match. Uh, not drink going. Water. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so I, I watched like the second half of this match. So Chelsea down to nothing. Uh, you know, then they start to claw back. It was chippy all match, which is, well, no, it wasn't chippy till about halftime. And so it was fun to see. Uh, Drinkwater took an absolute m- sliding missile dropkick tackle. And then as the kid ran away, he turned and chopped him down from behind. Both of them get sent off. You know, a big skirmish. Chelsea end up pulling it out, though. They're still down, I think, 2-1 at that time and 1-3-2. So a huge result for them. Uh, but, yeah, you see Petr Cech getting in there, like, separating these kids out and things like that. And you just, like, look up. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess I'll listen. Um, but, anyways, it was, obviously, it was a fitness thing, excited. But, I mean, I'm sure you won't give too many column inches to this one. 
Well, no, no, I mean, I got the shout. I actually got the shout on Saturday he was going to play, and I, I didn't really bother writing a story on it and just tweeted out on Sunday because I, I wasn't very excited by it. Maybe I've got it wrong, but I'm not. Look, I, this is where I'm not a Chelsea supporter, so I can appreciate it'd be different for me if I, if you know, if Paul McGrath came back and played a Villa game, even for the under 23s, I'd be super excited. So I, I get it from a fan's perspective. From an objective perspective, I found it a bit weird. I, I found it a bit weird that a young goalkeeper's being denied a game for that. Um, that's me being ultra cynical and my journalist head on, probably, and not very romantic. Um, but look, they've got him. They've got him on their squad roster. I don't think he'll play a game for them. But if he's on their squad roster, he has to be ready to play a game. You know, you, you can't have someone on. You, you wouldn't have another player on your on your squad who literally hasn't played a single minute of a game for however long Petr Cech hasn't. Um, they would at least be playing some under twenty three football or or getting some minutes off the bench. Czech's obviously not going to get minutes off the bench, particularly being a goalkeeper. So they have to try and have him match ready as much as they can. Otherwise, it's probably irresponsible. Otherwise, why is he in the squad? Um, otherwise, you just say he's in the squad as a PR move. The guy can't even, you know, can't possibly play a match. He hasn't played a match for however many years. So I just think it was probably sensible from that perspective to get him some match minutes. Me, as a cynical, unromantic, boring old journalist, would rather see a kid have his chance in the under 23s but that that's i i get that's not a, a fan view and i get why it's exciting for fans i would imagine he'll play another under 23 game at some stage just to keep it ticking along because as i say if you're part of the squad even if you're fourth choice goalkeeper you've got to have some minutes under your belt fourth choice coming for third choice here we go <laughs> what i would say though what i would say what is really interesting what is re- here's the scenario and I put this to someone at Chelsea and they refused to answer me. So you've got you've got all the goalkeepers. So let's say you get to May and you've got a game that's either going to keep you in the title race or keep you in the Champions League places place. And you have Mendy and Caballero both out. One's injured, one's suspended. Who do you play in goal? <laughs> Just pinning I, I I honestly think Lampard would play Petr Cech at that yeah, point. That, that sounds right. <laughs> that would be wild. I don't ever think it. Look, I don't think it will get to that. But I'm struggling to believe if it was a huge game at the end of the season and he had and he had Mendy and Caballero out. I think he'd struggle to trust Kepper in it, and I don't see the kid Ziegler playing. No, I think it'd be a massive decision for him, put it that way. And like I say, the person who I asked at Chelsea, who is not a member of the coaching staff, please don't let people think that, couldn't answer me when I asked it to them. So, fair enough. See if that happened, but I don't think it will. Fair enough. Uh, wild times. So what happened is Mendy would be out with a short-term injury. Caballero comes out flapping out of his goal, gets sent off accidentally. Now where we go. <laughs> so... Well, Man, yeah. that's that's just, that's just also like a heartbreak. I feel bad for Keppa too. But it's like, look, you're a professional athlete. You have standards. There's things you have to deliver on. So, uh, you know, support him. But I'm definitely not going to slate him and feel, you know, 
you know, anyways. So. All right, maybe Matt. they'll find, maybe, look, as well, it's worth pointing out, maybe they'll find a loan. For, look, I, I don't see it, but I'm not Marina Granovskaya. Um, maybe there's a loan out there for, for Kepper in January, in which case, as you say, checks just then bumped up to, bumped up a place. And first team wise, I see him playing over Ziegler mm-hmm. every single time because of the experience. He's only 38, Petacek. He did retire. Yeah. I think people miss the fact that Petacek did retire ridiculously early. I was thinking, like, I, I go back to, like, the Edwin Vandersar. Like, was he 41 playing for Manchester yeah. United when he retired? So it's not unheard of. But. Well, he's, he's younger than Czech. Correct me if I'm wrong. Czech's younger than Caballero, isn't he? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> he retired crazy early. I mean... But, he was at it, it Arsenal. Felt like we missed it at the time. Why weren't we asking at the time? Why is this guy retiring so early? Well, is it the thing too, Matt? Where maybe next season, you know, Caballero is just on one year extension. You maybe look to shift Kepa. Does Petr Cech potentially just become the third choice option? And you know, because rarely does that player ever get used. Don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule anything out with Petr Cech because he constantly surprises me. I mean, he became a professional hockey player the other day. So, um, but he is the technical. I mean, he is the technical director or the technical advisor, as they call him. Surely, surely that has to be his main job. Matt. I can't see how he could be the number three goalkeeper. He kept, he kept that job description vague on purpose, Matt. <laughs> Matt, of all the questions we've asked you, we've asked you some silly questions. This is the one that's exasperated you the most. (laughs) (laughs) It probably has, yeah. I just don't, like I say, from a cynical journalist point of view, in what other life does a a technical director be goalkeeper and be ice hockey professional and and everything else? He's he's a multi-talented guy. And it's annoying, actually. We should all... We should all really hate him because he's far more talented than any of us will ever be at everything. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and he clearly has a really long leash at work because he'll like, hey, so I got a game this weekend that's not related to this, so I'll I'll be back later. Marina, I have yeah. to skip I have to skip the board meeting uh later today. I got I gotta go over to the training yes. ground and then I have yeah. to release practice. my charity album that I'm drumming on, you know, all these <laughs> other things that I'm involved in. Exactly. And then next week I'm gonna go and play a hockey match too or something. Yeah. Gotta hey, stay fit. Hey, Big Pete. Big Pete's happy. I'm happy. I'm pretty sure that's the that's how the saying goes. So, hey, Matt, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, it's been fun. Um, rest up now while you can uh, before Thanks, the guys. the drama of January. So, yeah, we'll take care. Obviously, Nick and Dan, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, if you're not, if you're crazy, go follow Matt on Twitter. Turn on the notifications. Make sure you don't miss anything. Uh, but that's going to wrap us up. So next one up is the uh, match preview whenever that drops on Sunday. So take care, Blues fans. That's it from us. Until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.